Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast, dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game, brought to you by coachesedge.coach. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of the Coach's Edge and Kramer Basketball. And on today's episode, this is part one of two. I'm joined by Coach Anthony Troshak as we talk about in-season player development. He asked me a variety of questions, and we really dig into how, as coaches, we can make sure that our players are playing their best at the most important time of the year as we get into the stretch run and eventually into tournament play. If you find this beneficial, be sure to subscribe, leave a positive rating and review. That goes a really, really long way. And if you have any questions about all the cool stuff that we have going on, you can check out our website, coachesedge.coach, and the personal stuff that we have going on with Kramer Basketball, kramerbasketball.com. Thanks for listening. Let's get to the show. I'd like to welcome Coach Troshak back to the Coach's Edge podcast as we dig into some in-season player development topics. Coach Tro, thanks for jumping in. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, definitely interested to see your input on this topic, especially with you being you know, a skills trainer or also and having a background in coaching and your playing experience to see kind of how that shaped uh, your thoughts about this topic. This is something that I'm always thinking about, always tweaking and changing. This is something that we've dug in and I've personally dug in a lot more with my own coaching development since we started the Coach's Edge that really came out you know, publicly last October. And so really trying to learn from other coaches that we work with um, what they're doing in season and trying to encourage them on how they can get their team and their players better throughout the, the course of the year. And that's ultimately as a coach, what we want to do is, is be better come the end of February. I know some teams are starting their districts, um, their playoffs um, in Michigan, it's March. So we want to be the best version of ourselves come March. So, so what are some ways coaches in season can help their players um, develop uh, their skills? Most definitely. And I, I think that one of the most important factors for good player development in season is to make sure that your team development plan and your player development plan go together. For example, a coach, maybe a coach has a great player development drill that's very transition focused, but when you see them play, they're a slow paced team. They're probably wasting that practice time using a drill that they like. It's developing players, but not for the system that they're in. They should probably spend more time working on their player development, attacking closeouts if they're more of a half court team. So it's important for us as coaches to, to look at what we're doing from a skill development standpoint, say, does this match up with the actual way that we play during the season? And if it doesn't, we have some serious problems with how we're running our practices and we can make those changes accordingly. Secondly, and the, this, is, this is just as important, what wins games during the season? For most teams, effective field goal percentage and turnover percentage decide how a game is won or lost. So from an offensive standpoint, from my strategy and how my team plays, we want to be able to create open shots for our team, good looks for our team. But from a skill development standpoint, we want to create great shooters. We want to create high IQ players so they understand what is a good shot. That also goes into our player development. And that means they also have the ability from a skill development standpoint to create for themselves and others. Same thing goes from winning the turnover battle. We need to have a great structure defensively, right? So we'll cause turnovers from the other team. But when it comes to us, 
We want to put our kids in a position to play with space, generally playing deep and wide. They got room to work with, but also understanding they can handle the ball against pressure. They can attack the defense. They can draw multiple defensive players and their high IQ players understanding their passing options, their pivot reads, so that we're also winning that tournament, uh, that turnover battle. And so as we're developing our players, it's really important that we're focusing from a player development standpoint in season and out on really building what wins games, which is effective field goal percentage and turnover percentage, generally being the two biggest ones for most basketball coaches. And then we can look into, okay, well, out of what we run, how can I design drills that best suit our players? For example, uh, we want to advance the basketball with the pass. Preferably, say, the pass, we want to go over half court instead of dribbling over half court. We want to make sure that we're changing sides of the court. We want inside-out touches. We want our players to fill their locations on the court. And then based on those four things, we want to hunt down great shots. As you and I have talked about in past podcasts with our Coach's Edge members, we want to hunt great shots, sevens or higher. So if you look at those things, advance the ball with the pass, change sides of the floor, inside out touches, we're filling our locations and we're hunting great shots. That gives us offensive concepts that we want. Now, what is that specific to your team? That's going to help you decide what type of drills best suit the players that you have based on what you're trying to get. You're running five out. Are you running four out? Are you running more of a flex offense? Are you running, you know, a, a, a drive and kick type offense? All those can help us determine how we're going to work on our practice and our player development drills. No, that, that makes complete sense. And, you know, as a coach listening to that, you have to, you know, what, what are our, what are we going to run on offense and what are those actions going to be? And let's say we're running a lot of pick and rolls. You know, are you saying that, you know, that coach should maybe run some three on zero pick and rolls where they hit the roll man and then the other player takes a shot and then another player maybe passes it to the lift, if that makes sense for those coaches out there visualizing it um, because that's what you're going to run. But if you don't run any pick and rolls, like what's the point of teaching your players that it's yeah, it's going to look good and it's going to you make you feel good at the end of practice and they might learn something. But if you're not applying it into the game and that's not a shot that you're taking or an action that you're running then you know, why would it be part of your development? So you're basically saying mesh your team development, your scheme, your strategies and systems with your player development. So you can almost work on two things at once. Correct, coach? 100%, because I, I think there, there's times where, you know, I've helped some coaches during some of their practices and you know, I've gone over and I'm like, coach, they think that they're running their offense. Really, we're working on pivoting, squaring up and finishing, right? They don't even know, the amount of reps that they're getting in this, they just think they're, they're going through the place or it could be vice versa. They think they're getting their reps up. And when in reality, they're working on the exact cut to the high post and the exact pass from wing to high post entry that we run within a lot of the offense that we have, we've just made a drill out of it. In fact, I did that two weeks ago with the team. We put a drill in, we created a drill because so much of their offense went wing to high post. So we put in, two different variables where they were going high post and they're working on different types of pivot and attack options because that's something that they already were running within their offense. If we're not doing things like that, uh, I think we're wasting a lot of time in practice and we could get be, be getting better at the wrong things. Right? We want to get better at the right things. And so when you look at your practice, I mean, you're probably breaking it down into a few very basic categories. 
And so, and you can, you know, respond to me here on what, how you generally break a practice down. And this doesn't mean they're buckets. Like I do this for a half hour, this for a half hour, but you got kind of skill development. You might have some breakdown drills, some small sided games. You have your scrimmaging time, and then you have some time where you're breaking down strategy. Maybe you're, you're walking through your stuff, five on O or five on five. You're going through the other team's stuff, some of the game plans, some of the scouting aspects. Generally there's, four different categories of your practice, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to kind of explain a practice plan. And we've talked before about almost a pre-practice routine. So when they step in the gym, they have that. And that's focused on a lot of skills and it's a lot of on air, um, not necessarily live, um, whether it's form shooting or some stationary ball handling, then it would transition into like a live thing to get them up and down and get the blood flowing, like to get some energy early in the practice. And then we usually jump into shell and have different variations of shell. And we go over them in the, the preseason. Like, you know, if the ball touches the post, we choke the post. Um, if teams are running a flex action, we want to fight over and bump under on that flex action. If there's ball screens, this is how we're going to hedge it. So that way, when we go and we're going to face a team on, you know, a Friday night and it's a Thursday practice, we go, all right, we're going to do choke the post shell. And they know. So it's it's focusing on, you know, preparing for that game. And then we kind of switch gears maybe to offensively to prepare um, as far as are we going to see a zone? Are we going to see pressure? And then we sprinkle in shooting drills um, all the time because I think it's just important. And we'll sprinkle in finishing drills, too. Um, and those are live. Um, and those have, you know, changed throughout the year. Even shooting drills go more like um, less less shooting from one spot, more different variations. Maybe you take a pull up, then you come off a curl, then you're fading um, or like the ones that you run where there's a defender um, and you kind of, kind of make that read. So that's kind of a practice plan that as a coach I've, I've ran in the past, that's kind of how it's laid out. Uh, those are all good that. examples. No, those are all really good examples of, you know, how some, some things might be run during a practice. And I'm glad you mentioned some of the pre-practice work. So let me go back to that and then we'll talk about some things we can emphasize in interactual practices. Practice starts when you enter the gym as a player. We need to emphasize this to our players. Say, listen, guys, girls, if we're serious about our development and getting better, we need to be getting better before, you know, I blow the whistle before we huddle up. So instead of just shooting around, messing around and not doing anything that's actually improving yourself, we are going to improve right now when you walk in the gym. And we've broken this down with our coaches edge members. I'm sure I've shared in a handful of podcasts real quick. I'm going to go through my pre-practice workout, which is four to five minutes of jump and rope. It's 30 minutes, half or 30 minutes. That'd be a long, that'd be a lot of jump and rope. It's 30 seconds, half speed, followed by 30 seconds rest of a basic stance jump. And I said, we're going to get into stance. We're not going to jump rope with our feet together. because we don't play basketball with our feet together. We're at our stance, hips back, chest up good athletic base, almost like a shooting stance, 30 seconds, half speed, 30 seconds off. Then we're going to go 20 seconds, three quarter speed, 40 seconds off. So now two to one rest of work ratio. And now for our last three sets, if we're feeling good, we're going to pick up the intensity. If we're not, we'll do another set of 20 seconds on 40 seconds off. But if we're feeling good, now we're either going to go full speed for say 12 seconds, as fast as we can, as many jumps as we can. And then we're going to rest for 48, four to one rest of work ratio, or we could do about that 10 to 15 second window, but we're going to add in some footwork, some, some hip turns, some X jumps, some skater jumps, some double jumps, some, some boxer jumps, some, some high knees, some butt kicks, 
million different variations that we could do with a, with a jump rope to get us good and warmed up and to reinforce basketball type movements. Because as a former player coach, I can tell you that going through as a high school player, going through as a college player, there were a lot of seasons that I can still remember right now as the season went on because basketball was so much and a lot of what we trained was like burst, like jump, hard cut, sprint. And so I found as the season was going on, I was getting usually better at those really big dynamic movements of that big sprint, that big leap, those different like hard cut coming off of a screen. But what I noticed nearly every single season by the time I finished was I felt slower from the little bouncy aspect where you're not loading your whole body quickly, but where you just need to turn quick and you're just light on your feet, just pop, 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 pop. Think like the difference between a tiger and a gazelle, right? A tiger, it, it's loading, it's in that crouch position and then boom, it springs out and it's you're, you're dead, right? Whereas a gazelle, it's like barely bending its knees and it's just like bounce, 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 spring it, right? It's that light on your feet movement. When I started jumping rope on a consistent basis, I got better there and it helped my game. Okay, so that's the, that's my jump rope tangent. Do that for four or five minutes. Then we're going to ball him. You mentioned pre-pod against, against bodies, uh, without bodies. I'm going to go without a body, just on my own, stationary ball handling before practices even start. I'm getting a lot of that taken care of right there. We got 11 stationary ball handling drills that we recommend. It's We're in our stance, we're reinforcing wide base especially, Wide base is already going to make us a little lower, right? So front hip pound dribble, outside hip pound dribble, back hip pound dribble. If you have questions about what I'm talking about, just send me an email, send you a video. Then we go with a V dribble in front and a V dribble to the side of our body. So now we're at five stationary dribbles that we need. Then we go a crossover dribble. We do two variations of the cross. One is really tight inside our knees and one is a real wide cross because there's different situations. There's an infinite amount of crossovers you can do in a game, but those are two really common ones. So we hit those. Then we go between the legs. So I might go right hand in front, left hand behind, left hand in front, right hand behind. And then I'll go behind the back and then I go in and out. So now we're at nine stationary dribbles. And when I say we're knocking these out quick, I mean quick, like maybe we're getting 10 of each. Okay. And then after that, Two more variations that are is between legs, explosive pound dribble, between legs, explosive pound dribble. This is like your figure eight dribble, except there's only one dribble in between that between the legs dribble. And then the 11th one is we wrap the basketball behind our leg and we just cup it and we're wrapping it from the back through the front of our legs, a figure eight, but there's no dribble in between. And those are our 11 stationary ball handling drills that we can knock out in less than five minutes. Now, because that's just say 10 dribbles of each, you, you want to get some more reps in. Okay, go, go ahead. But you're going to get a lot done in a very short amount of time. Then you can start to add a little footwork, some, some, some forward jabs, some side jabs, some sticking squares, some V jabs, some different types of footwork that you're going to use in the game, some protect dribble and back dribbles. And then after that, we're getting into our form shooting. We'll make 50 shots through our four phases. We'll start at about six, seven feet, phase one form shooting. Then we'll back it up and we'll go to about eight, 10 feet. Phase two, which is our ball motion shooting. Then we'll back it up, go about 10, 12 feet. Phase three, body motion shooting. And then we'll go phase four, which is our game speed shots. And we'll back that out. So we'll do that at about the foul line. And we'll go 10 makes, 10 makes, 15 makes, 15 makes. We're made 50 shots. And then depending on your position, 
And if you got a few minutes left, maybe you're a, a player that handles the basketball a lot. Maybe I'll give a few extra reps in handling the basketball, working on my feet, making some moves, some movement. Maybe I'm a player that isn't responsible for dribbling the basketball as much. I'll get some extra finishes in. And that is something that you could do every single day in about 12 to 15 minutes. 12 to 15 minutes. 15 minutes times five, that's an hour and 15 minutes, times that by four weeks. We're getting five hours of really good extra practice in that if you're doing this and other teams are not, think of how much better you're getting. Now, if that's five hours of extra practice that you're getting as an individual player, times that by 10 players on your team, does that mean you're getting 50 extra hours of player development in compared to the school down the road that you're going to try to beat on Friday night? Multiply that by the course of the season. Coach listening, you can't tell me you're not going to get better. Whatever coach in the country, you you can't tell me you're not going to get better if you're not doing this and you start doing this because it's all game application. You want to work on your footwork, be light on your feet, check. You want to work on your ball handling skills. Listen, that's a game of space now. We want to be able to handle the basketball off the dribble. You want to be able to work on your shooting. We all want to be able to shoot. And then you can sprinkle in more off of the dribble or more finishes, whatever your cup of tea is, and we will get better. No, that, that's great stuff. And if I'm a coach listening to you right now, I'm taking notes. I'm probably going back and I'm probably re-listening to that part. And as you were speaking of it, you know, now I'm thinking of all the coaches out there that are going to do this and, you know, all the hundreds of coaches that you re, you impact. And I got one more thing to add to that coach. And it is, it's not what you do too, I mean, which those hours, it's, it's how you do it. Right. So... What I'm saying is you, you might be able to, you know, those, those 50 hours. Now, to really be the elite, you have to squeeze everything out of those, those, those hours, everything out of that 15 minutes of ball handling or those fundamentals of practice. And I think that's the key because as a coach, sometimes we listen, and I'm putting myself in the coach's shoes right now and going, oh, that's great stuff, that's great stuff. And then I do it and I do it and I forget um, that – we need to have that expectation because I think that's, that's number one is how hard you work. And a great way to do that is first, first practice, or maybe you're, you're implementing it right now in the middle of the season is you do a ball handling drill and then you tell the players, all right, do it again. And they're like, what? And you know, and you say, go as fast as you can. I want I want you to go as fast as you can. It's okay. If you lose the ball. I mean, one of your favorite sayings coaches, um, you know, the only mistake you'll make today is not making one. Right. And you say that to them. And then if no one messes up, you say, go again. And then a couple of people mess up and you praise them. Oh, good job. Way to go hard. And then soon every single player is going all out and you just go, that has to be the standard every time we do player development. Otherwise you're going through the motions. Yeah, you're going to get a little better, but you're not going to get as good as you could have been. So instead of spending that time, those 15 minutes, you need to invest that time and that is, I think, the, the real nail I wanted to drive home on everything that you just said, because it was great. But sometimes as a coach, I put myself in the shoes and I, I, I do it. And really, then I got to remember, you know what? There's probably other coaches out there listening to your podcast. There's probably other coaches that are following you and they're doing the same stuff. But I have to make sure that I'm getting every single thing I can out of those players. So I wanted to add that coach. No, you're right on the money. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Sometimes I just I, I forget about that. I take it for granted. Emphasize to your to your players like. This matters. Guys, girls, this matters. 
Do you understand that the difference between where you are and where you want to be could be the 15 minutes that you get after it at a different level, a different standard, a different focus that you have about how you go about your business compared to that next team that's coming up in that big game and they have a lot of talent and they have a lot of skill and they're well coached and they're well prepared. This could be the difference maker. You got to give yourself a chance to succeed by holding yourself to a high standard there. And then from a, I know coaches want drills. And listen, there's a lot of great drills out there. We have a ton of awesome drills out there. What I want our coaches to understand from a player development standpoint is it's not the drill. It's what you emphasize. Coach, you just, I mean, that's just what you said, right? It's, it's what you emphasize. It's the standard that you have. So if we're working on our, I want to talk about some extra shooting. I want to talk about some extra finishing. And I want to talk some, about some extra ball handling as far as what we can do to help our, our players. Now, first with, with ball handling, if we're teaching our players to break down a defensive player, so we're making some moves, maybe we're playing uh, some, some one-on-one, you know, we're on the baseline and we're really trying to break down how are we going to beat this defensive player? You put them in a small space, maybe the lane line is the, is the width and say, okay, guys, you're working really hard. Let's just understand the spacing aspects of, of the game right here. One, we want to close the gap on our defensive player. Generally, that's about arm's length away. Two, we want to attack tight to our defensive player so that they have to open up their hips and recover instead of just being able to keep us lateral and make us the east-west player, right? We want to make them get into a recovery position. A lot of times against a good defender, if we can do that, that would generally mean our chest, get our shoulder gets to about their chest, right? Because we've made them open up. And then once we get in that position, can we cut the defender's line? Otherwise, a stronger player is going to push us off our driving line and a quicker player is going to beat us to the spot. If we can veer back in front of the defensive player, those are our three phases of driving that we break down at all of our camps. And then in order to get into that position, we talked about closing the gap, but how do we beat our defender? Well, we shift that defender or we freeze that defender. And we always talk about as good ball handlers, we want to be able to change speed, change direction and change height with the basketball and we want to be able to change speed, change direction and change height with our body. And that gives us six ways that we can be deceptive and be hard to guard. And, and because you differentiate the body and the ball, now you can get into the misdirection aspect of handling the basketball, which think of any really great ball handler, there's some misdirection in their game, right? And so when you think about handling the basketball that way, and then you say, okay, is this more of a freeze situation or of a shift situation with this defensive player? That's how I'm breaking down my moves to beat somebody instead of between the legs, crossover, in and out, spin move, whatever that, whatever that might be. I think it makes the game a lot easier for us to teach, and it makes the game a lot easier for us to look back on success and failure and say, well, why did that work? I really did a nice job freezing that defensive player, meaning like you were really closing that gap hard. Like you hit the gas, closing that gap on the defensive player to get arm's length away. Then you stopped. Right. That defender froze for a second because they thought you were going to keep going. And when they froze, boom, you hit the gas again and you took off. You froze. Right. Or you shifted that defensive player. For example, you closed the gap on the defensive player. You made it between the legs. And as you made it between the legs, you slightly shuffled your feet from right to left. And as you saw that defensive player start to slide from your right to your left, boom, that's when you cross over and you go. That is a shift move. Right. So there's a million different situations, but 
understanding how we can beat our defensive player is a, a really valuable tool for us to teach within our player development. And then we can start setting them up in different locations on the court where we, again, going back to what we do in a game, where do we find ourselves in the game having to handle the basketball in these situations to close the gap, to attack tight, to cut the defender's line, to use a freeze move, to use a shift move. Okay, let's create drills where those are the locations. Maybe we have a, a defensive player who is at the volleyball line and an offensive player who is at the um, half court line. And then we have that on the other side and the coach is in the middle. And coach isn't gonna say, are they gonna pass it right or left? Right. But they're, ju they're just going to pass it. And it's a defensive job to stop the ball. You got the off ball defensive player who's sprinting back in transition to protect the paint. They're going to have to match up if the pass gets across and you're playing a little two on two game. But you're giving that offensive player the chance to work on some of those moves in a two on two transition situation. We could go on and on one on one, two on two, breaking all those things down. Coach, anything you wanted to add on with some of the ball handling stuff we just broke down? Uh, no, uh, one, I guess, short story is uh talking about player development in the season specifically ball handling one year i knew we had a shot at districts and i knew we needed to handle pressure specifically ball handling and you worked with this team and i took drills that you did like the gauntlet drill and the one-on-one -on -one cones and we did them like every day and i i never told the guys that we were preparing for this team and they went like 18 and 2 they're in our district but i knew we had a shot against them and I knew we were going to have to handle that pressure. So that ball handling like was developing. So as a coach, you got to think, you know, what do we need to be the, the our best version at the end of the season? In this case, we're talking about ball handling. That's why I jumped over that. And we ended up like handling pressure like it was nothing in, in that game and ended up beating that team. Um, but I think as a coach, you, you got to think, you know, how can what skills do we need to work on? And maybe it's finishing. And you just hit a great podcast on finishing. Maybe you're going to lead into that here in a second in your skill development and practice. But it just reminded me of that because you have a ton of great ball handling drills. And that's, that's I think, credit to the, the drills that we ran that um, you taught us to help us prepare for that game. So, And you won the district. And I got the yeah. T-shirt. So I'm, I'm glad my, my wife still wears it around. Actually, that's funny. Um, so, and, and you're talking about handling pressure. And so there's a lot of ways that we can handle pressure. It doesn't just have to be off the dribble, right? It could, one of the big things with handling pressure is how we use our pivot to be able to bias some time and to create a better passing angle when we're getting doubled, when we picked up the dribble and really it's body to body type defense. And so within our player development, you know, do we have some time where we can go one-on-one -on -one real quick and, you know, you blow the whistle or you say go and you're just working on a pivot for four seconds. And then you work on a live dribble for four seconds. And then you pick it up and you work on your pivot again for four seconds. And then you switch with your partner. What if you did that for 90 seconds? Just everybody get, it's, it's two players. All it takes is a drill. And you're just working on getting comfortable handling that type of ball pressure and getting your kids to understand how long four seconds is, how long 12 seconds is, because a lot of times they panic, right? And they think, oh, one, two, oh, it must be at five. Like, and they just chuck something up. It's like, if you can be comfortable handling the basketball and being strong with it, you're going to be okay. But we have to have a wide base with our pivot. Understand if somebody's not there, somebody's coming to help you out and we're going to be okay. And if you've caught it, 
right? You got four seconds there. You got four seconds on the bounce. You got four seconds on the pickup again. You have 12 seconds where you could literally not move and it's still legal. What, what a luxury that is, okay? Now, let's say, guys, we don't want this to happen, but what if you had 12 seconds and you had two defenders on you? Kids would be like, oh, why? That, that sounds awful, right? Why well, don't want two? It's like, listen, do you think you could find somebody open if you had two defenders on you and you had 12 seconds to do it? Well, yeah, I probably could. You'd be like, as a coach, I think you could too, right? So, so I need you to relax. Right. Understand that if there's two on you, somebody's going to be open. Somebody's going to come and, you, and you're going to see a, a window to get them the basketball. But just work on being comfortable against that pressure is huge. There's another one um, where it's basically you set the kids up in a triangle and then you put two on the ball and you put one player back as the safety. Right. So it's three on three and it's just triangle passing. Kid has the basketball. They're being double teamed. And we're working on the pivot and we'll do this. We'll say, hey, no dribble first. And we're just going to have these two kids double the ball and they're going to foul a little bit, be a little extra physical. And they have to work on the pivot and they can't pass until the coach says make a pass. And then when you say pass, there's still a defender back there who's looking to pick off whichever teammate that you're trying to throw to. Say you pass to the right side of the triangle, off ball defender guards the ball. Next closest defender who is doubling, jumps over, they start doubling. You got the trap there. The third player who's left over jumps in the gap. So now they're kind of the safety and it's drill starts over again. Players working on their pivot, handling the double team, handling the double team. Coach says pass. Okay, got to find the op open pass. And again, it's also a really good trapping drill because from a defensive standpoint, we're telling our kids, if you're trapping, you're not going for the steal. If you're off the ball, that's who's trying to get the steal, right? You're trying to cause it by your on-ball defense, but you're not slapping at the basketball. We don't want to get called for a chief foul. You do your job. Let the person who's off the basketball, they work on the timing, how much ground they can cover. And so that's a really good drill offensively and defensively uh, for us to work on as well. Yeah, those pressure drills. And, you know, it's always good to have key points because sometimes players don't understand how to handle pressure and they don't understand it's, 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 it's just fake. It's just a guy getting as close or a girl getting as close as can. They can't, they can't tap you. They can't do anything. So some keys for handling pressure that I've always gone with is when you're being pressured, you can't get pregnant. So meaning hold the ball like here, you know, like a, a running back here and no statue of Liberty, which means straight up in the air. So if you ever tell kids in, in a practice, Hey, don't get pregnant, no statue of Liberty. They're going to remember that. Another thing that I've noticed throughout the years coaching is, when kids get pressure, they tend to go to that back foot. So we say that back foot can't be at, at six o'clock. You know, we're like using a clock. You can't get back in that that time zone area. Um, and you can even go between, I don't know, it'd be like five or five o'clock and four o'clock. But, you know, no six o'clock because a lot of players, they throw that off their back foot. They let the pressure get to their body. And then, boom, it's a turnover because they're not pivoting around like you mentioned. So not only the drills that you just you said, you know, that four second, four second, it's also important to have those teaching points. So the players really understand why, and that's why it's important to have your player development planned out um, to have at least like three points that you want to get from that drill. So at the end of the drill, the players go, oh, that's what I gained from it. That's what I learned from it um, to, to emphasize in, in player development. So. And the next thing I love it. And the next thing I want to touch on was some of our finishing. And if you get a chance, go back. I talk about it a little bit more in one of our previous podcasts on um, uh, finishing technique and moves. 
some protection plans when you get into the rim. And so I want to I want to brush over a few of those things. And then Coach Straw, I want you to comment on some of the finishes that you like as well. Uh, but I get asked a lot about you know your favorite finishes or your core finishes. I don't think I have them. Uh, I, th I think that to me they're too specific to get into based on the personnel of the players that we'll work with. Um, you know, dependent. I know there's a lot of stats out there for two foot finishes. I've had some research done on my own. A friend of mine did some at the NBA level. He actually found better finishing numbers off of one foot, right? It just depends at, at the level um, that we're playing. And I think it's the athleticism of certain players. Um, with that said, two foot finishes are my preference. Two foot finishes are more common. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of two foot finishes where it's a reach finish. So we're not always going up, we're going out defender body ball position. If we can stay away from the defensive player, but still have a good base. And the, and the way that we break it down with our players is I'll have them get on a good wide base and say, and I'll push them a little bit and say, how you feel? Be, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty strong. And I'll say, okay, stand as strong as you can, but do it on one foot. And then I'll barely touch them and they'll move over. So that's the difference when you're in a game trying to finish off of one foot when there's contact. So two foot finish, balance and power, one foot finish, speed and space. And we want to understand situation more than we want to understand what finishing move am I using? You might have a great finishing move, might be the completely wrong situation to use it in. I'm not going to use a shot fake step through when I'm in transition and the defender's closing the gap on me and they're 10 feet behind me, right? I'm, I'm going to keep that space and just go up and make the layup, right? So when it comes to some of our finishes, pro hop, jump stop, very important moves. Spin move, especially spinning away from help defense is very important. What we try to emphasize with our kids is if we're using a spin move, we don't want to dribble the ball. We, we very rarely want to use a spin move and that ball hits the floor after the spin when we're below the three-point line. If we are bringing the basketball up and generally cross over between legs, behind the back, back dribble, even those are better options a lot of times. Sometimes the spin is the spin. You're going to run somebody over. So you just you just make the spin move. The ball is going to hit the floor, obviously. But when we're attacking and you're getting close to the paint and you make a spin move and you dribble the ball again, that's a dangerous move to make. So it's a spin pickup, uh, pro hop. Again, we can pro hop when there's space in between the defensive player and us. But you see that they're in the spot we were trying to get to. Boom, we pro hop get to a new spot, good wide base on the landing. We always want to emphasize that. We can also pro hop when somebody's on our back hip. So if I'm driving to my left and I feel my defensive player is kind of on my back right hip, they're either pushing me away from my drive or they're going to beat me to the spot. What can I do on my drive to make sure that they don't do those two things? Ball, I'm driving left, I pro hop back to my right, now they're on my back, and now I got a five on four, a three on two, whatever that situation might be. Shot fake reads, key, uh, donut finish off of a stride stop are, are really good. And uh, one thing for a, a lot of kids, I think the stride stop helps from uh, just a joint absorbing standpoint. I'm not a scientist here. You know, Coach Cho, you got more background in exercise science than I do. Um, but uh, there's a lot of times when we're running where I think two breaks are better than one. And we'll see kids, especially at younger ages, where we teach them to jump stop, which is good, but they're just slamming. They're slamming boom, both feet, and it looks like it hurts, right? Whereas that stride stop 
it's one, two with our stride stop, one break, two break, different amount of time. And I just feel like it helps us to absorb our contact and it's getting us right into a strong finish pivot options as well. Protection plan. We can pivot out of it and make that pass. And so the stride stop has a bunch of very various options as far as finishing that we can get into off of that. And then with some one foot finishes real quick, again, reach finish inside hand finish great for one foot as well. And I think uh, reverse layup is something that needs to be practiced more often. I think we can use uh, the, the net, the rim to protect us, especially on, on some of our players that jump a little bit higher uh, can be really effective there. And for the most part, it's very rarely do you see reverse layups blocked, right? It's just, it's just a tough shot to time and space. Uh, so I think it'd be a very effective shot right there. I, I agree. Um, you know, it's interesting this um, the two foot versus one foot. And you mentioned in your previous podcast about Vito Brown and, you know, him going off of one foot because that's what he needed for speed and quickness. And it made me think of like some smaller guards that I've coached and maybe I should have emphasized more going off of one because they can't get in there with the trees. They need to get in there quick. They need kind of a sneaky, maybe an inside hand finish compared to off a of two. Um, but overall in general, you know, for an an average player, regardless of size, I'm a big, you know, fan of the two foot finishes and I'm a big fan of stride stops. I think stride stops need to be taught at the younger level and coaches need to stick with it. What happens is kids travel on the stride stops because they drag that back foot and they go, Oh, should have been jump stopping. Why aren't they jump stopping? And everyone's like, yeah, but if they keep and they practice, they're going to get that down. And I think it's more beneficial because there's more things you can do out of it. Um, another reason I like two foot finishes when, you know, when appropriate is I feel like you, like you said, your balance, you're more likely to go to the free throw line. I'm making this up. I don't know if there's an actual stat, but I feel you're more likely to go to the free throw line. Um, and then I also feel like you're in better rebounding position if you miss, because if you go off a one, you, you know, who knows where you're landing, your body might drift. you. If you go off a two, you're usually going straight up and straight down, maybe a little to the side and then you land on two and then you go back up. So, you know, I would be interested to see, you know, if there's a stat out there, which I highly doubt there is, but if just a, maybe when I'm watching film or watching games off a of one foot finish, how many guys actually get a rebound if they miss that? Um, that was just kind of a thought that I've had um, with one foot and two foot finishes. But like you said, you know, it's two foot for power and balance. It's one foot for quickness, for speed. And it, it does vary on the situation. And even like you mentioned, the player. Thank you for checking out part one of our two-part series with Coach Troshak on in-season player development, something I'm super passionate about. And as we get into the stretch run of the season, we still want our players getting better. And so my hope is that part one, part two, they'll continue to give you some thoughts on some of the drills and some of the things that you can emphasize with your players so that they can continue to improve throughout the course of the entire season. We got some coaches that are kicking off the postseason this week as these episodes are coming out. So we want to wish you uh, the best of luck, especially our Coaches Edge dot coach members who are in the playoffs. Very exciting time for us to follow you and serve you this basketball season. And if there's anything that I can do for you, especially as we get into March and April and into some of the postseason and things that happen after that uh, with CoachesEdge.coach, with coming in and running some of our camps and clinics, be sure to reach out, contact at KramerBasketball.com, at CoachesEdge1 on Twitter. Lots of fun ways that we interact with our coaches and try to serve as many people as we can. Thanks for listening to the show. And as always, get after it today.